Hey guys, this is Megan. And it's Brittany. And you're listening to True Colors. We're coming. Anxiety starts kicking in to teach that shit a lesson. Oh, I try my best just to be social. I'll make all these plans with friends and hope they call and cancel. Then I overthink about the things I'm missing. Now I'm wishing I was with them. Feel like I'm always apologizing for feeling. Like I'm out of my mind when I'm doing just fine My exes will say that I'm hard to deal with And I admit it Ah, I love that song though Yeah, no, that's a... I feel like that's perfect for our episode today Yeah, it's a, a great start to talking about something that is so personable to some people And isn't always easy to talk about, but... That's what we do here. That's what we do here. We try and switch off every week. Yeah. Like, let's do something lighthearted. Now let's do something a little more serious. Mm -hmm. And Um, this this week is the the serious serious one. Well, serious, but I feel like it's going to end on a high note. Yeah, definitely. Just based on, like, the answers we got and, like, what we were talking about before. So. Yeah. Um, Do you want to dive into questions? Yes. Okay. So. really excited. Which is crazy because it's so serious. I know. I think I it's math things with humor. That's fair. <laughs> okay, so this week obviously is about anxiety, depression, um, all things in between. Mm-hmm. I think that's what I called it was all things in between. Yeah. Um, and we asked everyone to kind of take a step back and talk about things that either trigger them, um, what they uh, feel like about anxiety in general. So this listener, um, so one of the questions was, what are some ways you have eased your anxiety in a public setting? Uh, Megan, you want to read the answer? Yeah. Okay. So this listener said, I get pretty anxious when I'm around people I don't know because I automatically assume that my existence is a bother to them, which I know is not the case, but my head screws me over sometimes. I also stress out a lot when I'm in crowds and I feel like I'm unsafe and in the way of other people. Something that has helped me get through this is to focus what I'm there on what I'm there for. If I'm there to have fun, then I try to focus on just that and not letting my anxiety get in the way of it because that's the only thing that has the potential of stopping me and making the situation worse than it needs to be. I That answer kind of stuck out to me the most yeah. is because I've talked to you about it. I have really bad social anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, I most people will tell you I'm a very exciting, jumpy, happy person. But what people don't know is I've had to deal with anxiety for the last almost 20 plus years. Um, and I have a really hard time being in social settings. I have a very hard time focusing on like how she can focus on what she's there to do. I can't. I start like I will look for every exit. I will look for how can I avoid this situation? How can I go do something opposite of what I'm doing? Um, But it isn't easy. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, I thought that this was a really interesting, interesting, the way it was phrased, the question. Um, I felt like it was really interesting because, you know, it's saying like in a public setting, which I feel like we're going to touch on in a private setting as well because I feel like that's where a lot of anxiety happens more because when you're alone with your thoughts, you mm-hmm. know, people say that's kind of dangerous. Um, 
But yeah, in a public setting, the way I think it's great, first of all, that this listener, whether it's a guy or a girl, I don't know, but um, that they were like, oh, I, I just try and focus on what I'm doing because I think that that is very difficult because mm-hmm. I'll tell myself even when I'm out with like my friends and or, you know, wherever, you know, whether it be like in Vegas, like at a club or something, mm-hmm. or if it's, I don't know, being just here and like going to brunch or something with our friends, I feel like my thoughts are still there in yeah. my head. And like as much as I'll smile and no one will notice that it's going on, I can feel it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you can see it if you know me. Like I know you would be able oh, to see I know it, it if we're in social settings. I get very quiet. I get very stoic for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Or I will take the role of like, for instance, say we're at a, like a party at my house or something. I'll take the role of cleaning up yeah. so that I don't have to talk to anyone mm-hmm. about whatever I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. So I thought that the question was um, really well phrased, but it definitely, the answer is so relatable, I think, on both accounts. Yeah. I know for me when I'm getting really anxious in like a public place, I will always have my headphones with me. Mm-hmm. So I have to put on a song that's calming. So it's usually... Hamilton right now, so I will put on... Uh, I feel like that's a lot of people's song right, right now. Right now, this is it. Um, I have to put on Hamilton, or I'll put on uh, Backstreet Boys. That's common. Um, but yeah, I have to put music on or something, because I'll start getting really anxious, especially if like it's taking longer to do something than I wanted to. I will start like trying to find a way to get out of it. Yeah, I will start being like, oh, it's time for me to go home or text my dad saying, call me for an excuse so I can come home because I will start panicking Yeah, and I'll start getting really frustrated. And you, I know, can tell if I'm starting to like um, start uh, freaking, like not freaking out, but like I start like getting bouncier and I'll start like clicking something. I... You can clearly see that I'm starting to get very anxious. You start rubbing your hands on your Oh, knees. yeah. That's my safe zone. <laughs> I'll be like, I told okay. you. I knew okay. um, That and I, if you um, really know me, if I start, like, rubbing my ear, mm-hmm. I'll start getting very, um, there's nothing in my ear, but, like, I'll start pulling on it. And it's always been my nervous tick. Even as a kid, I was like, just, just got to get through this. Um, I feel like mine is playing with my ring. Like, oh yeah, I have like my grandmother's ring on my right hand. Or you twirl your hair, and I'll like, yeah, or I'll I'll play with my hair somehow. Like, it won't be like a a weird playing with it. You know, how, like some people like put it near their mouth and stuff. Ew. But like, I'll I'll like be like brushing it, yeah, or, like stroking my hair. And I think like, but I think the ring one is a big one because I had someone one time I went to Disneyland with someone, and he was like, he's like, what are you doing? Like, why are you like? twirling your ring around so mm-hmm. much and I was like oh sorry it's like a nervous tick and then he said oh do I make you nervous and I'm like no <laughs> it is the large crowd surrounding us <laughs> now for two people who work at Disney how do you personally if you're starting to feel anxious at work mm-hmm. like what do you do to prevent because I know for me it's hard because I'm a lead so I have to kind of keep my stuff together yeah because I can't let anyone see that I'm anxious because then they get anxious because I'm supposed to lead them into something and I can't lead them. Right. So I know for me, I have to like kind of turn off. It sounds bad, but I have to try to turn off my anxiety Mm -hmm. 
or I have to keep moving. Right. So what's something that you have to do if you're starting to feel anxious at work? I mean, I hate to say it, but like at Disney, my Disney job, like I feel like I didn't really get anxious at work. Mm-hmm. I feel like I was very calm because of the surrounding that I was in. I don't even know how to describe that because I just never got anxious. But I can say at my current job, I do feel anxious a lot of the time because of like what we're doing when we 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 speak to survivors of like child abuse and like we advocate for them and we run their whole case process and everything. That makes me anxious because in my head, in my mind, I'm constantly like, shoot, if I mess up, like this could mess up their trial maybe somehow. And then what if they like don't win the case and then this person doesn't get the justice they felt that they deserve. And then I just feel like it would have been my fault. Um, Or what if I'm on the phone with a survivor and then I say something wrong and, you know, it, it triggers something for them. Like that scares me because I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't want them to hang up. I don't want them to like all of a sudden stop answering our calls. I don't want them to start feeling, stop feeling like that was a safe space for them. So for that job, I definitely get anxious, but it was weird with Disney. I know there was a lot of people around and everything, but I really did trust my team around me. Um, and here at Disneyland, like I, I always felt happy there. I always yeah. felt like it was like a second home. So That's fair. it I, somewhat felt like a safe space. Yeah, no, I think for me, it was just more so like, when you have to make those rash decisions, like yeah. it sounds silly because what's the decision I had to make, make sure that someone got a toy or something. But like when you were right. in that that's spot. That's important to you. Mm-hmm. But that, that also was really important to the flow of everything working mm-hmm. at Disney. You know what the leads do. That's important. So it does, it does make sense for you to feel that pressure Yeah. because you're like, Oh, it's, it's going to be put on my shoulders. Like yeah. if something goes wrong, the manager's calling me. In. <laughs> it's not you. It's yeah. going to be me. Exactly. So I think that that makes sense. I don't think that you should try and like downgrade yeah. you feeling that way at that job. Because then that's the anxiety talking. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know for me when I'm in a share uh, time, but like this weekend I was feeling very overwhelmed. And it was so silly because like it started out of nowhere. I was cleaning and then I sat down for like two seconds and all of a sudden all this self-doubt, all this anger, mm-hmm. all this frustration, like, that thought, am I bothering people? Should I talk to people? Like, how mm-hmm. should I go about doing this? And you just get to a point where you're just sitting there, like, that little devil is in your head mm-hmm. and talking to you, and you're sitting there like, well, maybe the devil's right. Maybe it's, you know, all this stuff. And that's why, like, for me, when I sit there and second-guess myself – trust me ask any of my friends I say sorry like there's no tomorrow mm-hmm. and like I will say sorry for bothering you but I need it x y and z and what's my response every time Brit don't be sorry <laughs> <laughs> and I'll say if you're not bothering me you're not bugging me yeah. talk to me and I'll tell you one thing too which I think this goes for personally between your and my friendship but this also I think a lot of listeners need to know this if you see people on social media posting concerning things, whether it be a tweet, um, Instagram, Facebook, you know, people really open up their lives on social media. Even if you don't think they are, like, a lot of the times you got to read between the lines. Mm-hmm. But, like, that's what prompted our conversation this weekend, mm-hmm. even though you didn't text me because you probably felt like you were going to bother me, even though you weren't. But <laughs> I, I think I saw, like, a tweet or something of you talking about doubt. Yeah. Um, 
And immediately I, I texted her the second I saw it. I was like, hey, like, are you okay? I saw mm-hmm. your tweet. Talk to me. And then you told me everything yeah. was wrong. So I just, like, encourage people out there. If you see concerning things on social media, like, don't, don't like, wipe them away. Don't think that people are just crying wolf because I feel like that's what a lot of people think. So oh, they're yeah. like, oh, I'm not going to reach out because they always post stuff like that. Does it really matter because, like, God forbid that that person is no longer there the next day because no one cared to reach out. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that I've had to, uh, like, kind of talk to my parents about it because uh, sometimes my aunts and uncles will say I post too much on Facebook. But it's the day I don't post something mm-hmm. is why are you posting your life on here? Well, because sometimes I'm screaming out for help right. and because I'm not getting it from everyone else. Yeah. So it's more so like if you see someone and they're saying certain things online and they're constantly posting certain things online, don't turn around and you're going to play into their doubt mm-hmm. and their sadness and their depression or anxiety. And you should probably, instead of thinking the worst, think the best of that person and try to reach out to that person. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so admirable of people like Megan, um, people like myself who, when we see a friend in trouble, like we don't, turn around and say, uh, they're posting again. Yeah. It's more so let me reach out to that person before God forbid something happen, you know? Well, I mean, there's well oh actually never mind. I was gonna say a quote, but I think we should save that quote for the end. I have a quote yeah. now for the end. Oh perfect. <laughs> I was thinking of it in my head. Um but just relating back to the question about like what you do to bring things down in public settings. I just want to, I'm going to use your situation this past weekend for that. Mm. When you were telling me that you were feeling like really doubtful mm-hmm. and then you said the specifics of it and I'm not going to disclose any of that because that's your fair. personal. Thank you. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> you know, you said the specifics of where that doubt was stemming from. Yeah. And I said, just because it was about yourself, I told you, I said, I think you should take, you should try and list five to 10 things mm-hmm. that make you a, like proud to be yourself yeah. and like that make you proud and just things that are good about you. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, we've talked about that bringing the anxiety down. And we've even, you, we've talked about this multiple times is the listing, the five, four, three, two, one. Method. Oh yeah. That's such a good method. I swear by that. Cause I have those moments when like I'm at a party or somewhere with my friends and I start internally, it starts. And then you're sitting there like count, yeah. count back five things you can touch or, you know, go through your touch, feel, smell, mm-hmm. uh, all that, and make sure that you are staying as grounded as you can. Yeah. I think it's like, what is it? I think it's like five things you can see, four mm-hmm. things you can touch, mm-hmm. three things you can taste, two things you can smell, one thing you can hear. Or I'm sure smell is actually way down there and yeah, and here is up there. <laughs> but um, the point is, is that it's, that method is supposed to ground you. And we even use that with the survivors mm-hmm. on the phone. If they start getting really overwhelmed on the phone and start freaking out on us, they tell us to use that method because it grounds you. It puts you into the moment mm-hmm. that you're in and all of those, you know, clouded thoughts that are telling you like, okay, I'm not good enough for this. And oh my gosh, you remember that one time that I wasn't invited to this? Like all of Literally those things <laughs> pop into your head and it's it's self-sabotaging. It really is. And, and it's self-destructive. So yeah. you're kind of like, okay, I need to separate myself from all of these mm-hmm. clouded thoughts that don't have anything to do with my here and now. And I'm going to ground myself to where I am in this moment. And yeah. that will definitely release at least some anxiety. Yeah, that's a good 
tool to have in the back pocket, especially when people are feeling like they can't calm down. Mm -hmm. You have that tool so you don't need to lean on anyone, especially people who are like me who don't want to bother. And I'm using air quotes for this because you're not a bother. It's fine. It's fine. Um, But you have something to help you do it. Right. By yourself. You don't need help. You can do it by yourself. Five, four, three, two, one. Yeah. Remember that. Yep. Um, so our next question that this listener had, um, what is the your advice to someone who is struggling with easing or controlling their anxiety? You get to read the answer. I am reading the answers today. Okay. Um, the number one thing that helps me control my anxiety is to mainly focus on my breathing. By doing just that, I have allowed myself in being able to control my panic attacks when I feel them coming by simply increasing my awareness of what is about to happen when I feel a panic attack coming and immediately slow down my breathing. Another thing that helped me when I'm panicking is to try my best to check back into reality. I usually think of the unrealistic outcomes are basically the worst case scenario, but it's important to rethink your fears and see if that outcome is actually realistic or not. Well, we kind of that's good. Well, we kind of touched on that before. We did yeah. about having ways. I to just wanted to read their answer because I really respected this person for even writing in. Yeah. Um. So I'm glad that we were sharing their story a yeah. little bit. I mean, I know it's not the easiest thing to have conversations about this topic. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we can have a conversation because we are as close as we are, but having this talk with someone that you don't actually know. Or listening to someone tell you how they've experienced it kind of brings you back to the moment where you're not alone. Yeah. And that's something that we've talked about because I have my moments when I think I don't have anyone and mm-hmm. I will freak out. And Megan's always the first person to say, you do realize you actually have a big support system. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I think that that's a good way to like segue a little bit a little bit more into a depression talk now because mm-hmm. I don't think people realize that those are two very different things. Very. Um, and then we'll like segue into, I would say maybe our own growth journeys because mm-hmm. I think yours is very important to show how you've grown so far and how you're actually helping me grow even more with the acceptance part of yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so depression, how many people don't know someone with depression? Yeah. Um, and what I hate to say is even worse is I feel like a lot of people, like myself, um, are scared to ever admit that they've felt depression or been in a dark depression because, you know, we talked about this before, I see mine as a weakness when mm-hmm. if I was to ever admit to that. Um, but here we are on a podcast admitting it. <laughs> where people listen. Yeah, we're... <laughs> We're growing, <laughs> Grow, slowly but surely. Um, so let's first talk about um, signs of depression. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to give like three signs of depression or three things even you or someone you know has experienced that is a sign of depression? So mine is, my. you will know I'm in a depression, like starting to go into my depression hole, is when I kind of distance myself from everyone. Mm-hmm. I isolate myself. Um, you can't get me on the phone. You can't get me to interact with you. Um, if a person is, uh, kind of, it sounds bad, but self-sabotaging their friendships and relationships because you're cutting the ties because you feel like nothing's going to hold you up. I do feel like 
though that self sabotage mm-hmm. like you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna be sabotaging those friendships if it's people that are not there to actually understand what you're going yes. through. I feel like there's self sabotaging in that degree and also yeah. you're internally thinking you're sabotaging that by cutting out people, like pushing them away. Yeah. Is the way I'm thinking of and um I know for me another sign is I will it, it varies from people, but I overeat when I'm depressed. Mm-hmm. Like, I will, I can't stop. I feel like it's a very common sign, though. Yeah. Like, a really common sign. Because you either get the one extreme where they overeat or they stop eating mm-hmm. completely. Like, it depends on what the depression I'm going through in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm dealing with remembering a past, mm-hmm. I usually will overeat. I will freak out. I will just need something that I can control and uh on the other spectrum you have people who won't eat they just feel like there's nothing left for them they'll just sleep in bed all the time or people don't eat this is the big reason people have eating disorders in general by the way um whether it's overeating or not eating at all it's because it's exactly what you said that's what you can control you're Mm -hmm. like i can't control you know, this person not liking me and wanting mm-hmm. to date me, and I can't control, like, my family wanting to be around me all the time, and I can't control my mom yelling at me, and I can't control, but you're like, this, this I can control. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people will definitely fall into that, fall back into that. And then one of the biggest signs is if you have a friend or me, I will lay in bed all day. I have no energy and no energy at all. I can't get up. I can't move. It's like this giant physical weight is on me, as well as this emotional weight. So you can't, you can't move. Like yeah. it's like it takes over your body in the sense that, what's the point? Yeah. I mean, I agree with all three of yours because I feel like they're the exact same ones that I feel. Um, but one that I would add, which I think is kind of maybe a, a weird one. Oh, whatever. I think it, I think it makes sense. <laughs> I'll make plans, like I'm talking like for a full weekend, and then the weekend will get near, and I will cancel on those plans. Yes. Whether it be like, and it's almost like, which is horrible because I'm the one who made the plans, but it's almost like I'm like, you're overwhelming me by wanting my company. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that makes no sense, I feel like, but at the same time, it's Maybe it does. Um, no, I feel like that makes complete sense because it goes back to the um, the isolation. You want yeah. to isolate yourself from the – basically, the things that make you happy, you're isolating yourself from. Bec- well, I, I just feel like you, you hit that moment where yeah. you're just like, I don't, I don't want to deal with the world. Yeah. And I hate to say it because as much as I love my family and I love my friends and I genuinely love them, it's almost like – it's almost like I get this thought in my head, like, no matter how much I love them, I can never love them enough to make them want to, like, be around me. So, like, why even try? So then mm. I, I think in my head, well, why even go out with them? Yes. Because, like, you know, at some point, and again, self-sabotaging here, at some point in my head, this is just the thought process, I'm thinking, they're going to get bored of me, they're going to leave me. It's not going to last, whatever it is. And yeah. it's probably because I've already experienced that. No, I was going to say that's exactly people. how I feel about my friendships lately. Mm-hmm. Like, with certain friends, I have been burned by friends. Yeah. 
and they've said certain trigger words like you're not worth my time you shouldn't I don't know why we're friends I don't I've avoided hanging out with you so x y and z you know like those things so like when we're not always going to be invited to everything people do Mm -hmm. but when you don't get invited when you clearly know something's happening and you're not invited to it you start those little devils and the old thing Mm -hmm. old thing just go in your head and then you're just like like you said you just don't feel like you're worth their time well i i met up with my close friends from college this past weekend on sunday and we were talking and when I was explaining to her why I'm no longer friends with a close guy friend of mine, mm-hmm. um, because they were not caught up on all that. We haven't seen each other in a while. Um, so we were talking about it, and I I remember her saying, she's like, this quarantine, she's like, what it did for me was it made me start questioning things like, who am I putting my energy into? Mm-hmm. Who am I putting my time into? Now, that's not me saying that these people are not worth someone's energy and not worth someone's time. I'm just saying if it's not reciprocated, it does make it kind of difficult to keep those people in your mm-hmm. life. And I hate to say it, but people with anxiety, you you have to be aware of those surroundings and who you're surrounding yourself with mm-hmm. because sometimes those people are just triggering all of those things. Yeah. So if you're – and this is what my mom said even. She was like, when I was coming home from days with that friend, she'd be like, I feel like you're more sad than you are when you go out with this friend. Yeah. And so she was like, so why are you going out with them so much? Mm-hmm. Or why are you talking to them so much? Why are mm-hmm. you keeping that negativity in your life? Yeah. So I think that that's really important. And I'm saying this to you is I think it's really important to not keep the people or to remind yourself who you're surrounding yourself yeah. with. And it's okay. To, you are you admit that you have anxiety. Mm-hmm. It's okay to, even if you want to have a conversation with them, let them know this friendship is no longer yeah. good for me. And in the long run, that means it won't be good for you either. Yeah. I honestly, last week when we were talking about like our friendship bonds and whatnot, I remember um, during quarantine, I had a friend that I was close to, or before quarantine, I had a friend that I was close to and we just kind of fell apart and it's fine. Um, but like thinking back to last week when we were having that conversation, um, I realized at the beginning of quarantine, the reason why I was so down about stuff was because I was letting that friendship affect my mood and yeah. affect how I was around my other friends. And so I had to get to a place where I was like, well, do I A, try to salvage this relationship? B, is it worth the time and energy? C, like, you know, I have to go through this because someone with anxiety, someone who deals with depression, you have to do your checklist to mm-hmm. make sure you can move on from that like it's something I've struggled with having Mm -hmm. to constantly have checklists to make sure that I am doing what's best for me you know yeah and I ultimately like just the end of the depression portion of this I do encourage like people with anxiety and depression of course to reach out to people Mm -hmm. And all that, but I'm also going to say, and I may get backlash for this, but I'm also going to say that, yes, reach out for help, but you have to be willing to save yourself sometimes. Yeah, no, I don't think you should get backlash for that, because that's 1,000% true. I'm glad you don't, but the listeners... Well, no, I honestly... Different. Let's take that whole depression conversation. Yeah. 
and bring it to the fact that you can ask you can ask people to help you you can ask for sympathy you can ask for whatever but until you tell yourself i'm not going to do this to me anymore you you can't expect people's words to get to you if you can't get to yourself it's almost like the words that's like uh my mom gets so mad at this uh like I'll tell you about something that's going on and I'll tell my mom about something that's going on. She'll give me advice and you'll give me the same advice. And then I'll be like, okay, so mom, I'm actually going to do this. And she's like, oh, okay. So when Brittany says it, you'll do it. Yeah. So it's almost like other people are going to say it to you over and over and over mm-hmm. again that you are worth something, that you are enough, mm-hmm. that you are amazing, that you are unique, that you are powerful, that you are strong. But you're not going to hear it until you actually are capable of believing yes. it. So you got to start repeating that thought to you yeah. yourself mm-hmm. every morning if you have to, every night, mm-hmm. every two hours. I don't care. Yeah. Whatever it is, if you don't believe it, mm-hmm. it's it's not sinking in. It's pointless to have your friends bend over backwards to help you. Mm-hmm. And I know depression is hard. We can all agree on that. And some people believe it's a real thing. Some people think you're just sad. Trust me, I have family members that think both. Um, but it says something about the person you are when you can realize you need help. Yeah. Um, I know for me, when I'm depressed, I don't know about you, but when I was going through depression for a while, it was more of the self-sabotaging again. Yeah. Like, I avoided my friends. I wouldn't talk to my friends. I wouldn't react to my friends. Like, I would post on Facebook the best things and I'm sitting there crying in my on my bed you know like you you have to be um, you have to be able to lean on your friends but lean on yourself as well completely 100% and just plugging this anyone who thinks they um, need to uh, take control of something or you need advice to take control of the situation listen to wait for it from hamilton oh my gosh no but when you listen to it it literally talks about someone who is basically trying to compete with someone Mm -hmm. and they're always they're sad they're frustrated because that person's getting everything they've ever wanted and then at some point in the song he's realizing that he's original he's himself he doesn't need to go as fast as the other person he can literally wait for what he's getting you know okay i think that's gonna lead me into a really good question (laughs) like that just hit everything uh my brain's going off it's lighting there's a light do you see the light bulb? yeah i see the light bulb it's bright (laughs) it's a bright purple light bulb um how do you feel or how do you think social media plays into people's anxiety and depression so much. Um, I know because I I can only say for what I do. Yeah. Um, I will see my friends out and having so much fun mm-hmm. and all this stuff. And I'm sitting at home and then I wasn't feeling these things. And then all of a sudden I'm feeling these things. Like yeah. I will be with like two weekends ago. I was sitting at home and my parents, my dad's. Went to their friend's house. I'm sitting there by myself. My sister's hanging out with her friends. My brother's hanging out with his friends. Sitting six feet apart. Don't worry. Mm-hmm. Um, social distancing. 
Uh, but they went to see some of their friends, and I was in the, I was downstairs, and I just felt so lonely. Mm-hmm. I was so angry, and then I see all my friends posting about all the fun things they are doing, and I just sat there, and I just my anxiety hit, and then I started getting really, really down. And then I was like, at one point, I was yelling at the wall, saying not nice things about myself. Oh my god! Yeah, I was really dramatic. Not dramatic, but like, yeah, I was like, no. I was just dealing with that. I was the wall was the dev- like the little devil on my shoulder. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't even like I was yelling at the wall. I was yelling at it, mm-hmm. and getting all these angers out because I was just like. Social media sat there and told me everything everyone else is doing. Mm-hmm. And here I am talking to a wall. Yeah. And, well, like, what I was going to say when it comes to social media, at least at least on my end, <laughs> being 27 and being on social media and seeing everyone and their mother getting engaged and on kid number two and, um, <laughs> you know, being like, oh, we couldn't have our big wedding, but we had our romantic little small ceremony. And I'm happy for all those people. That's what's the worst part. It's like I'm over here like I'm actually happy for you. Like I'm not even hating on you. It just it makes me feel like I'm not moving at the right speed. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like, okay, I have to be on their timeline. Like this person's in a serious relationship now. Shoot, like I'm behind if that person's in a serious yeah. relationship now. Like you know, like whatever it may be, you're just like, how how did I get here? But mm-hmm. then like you have to remember that we're all running on a different clock. Like everybody thinks that there's this big one giant clock in the middle of the earth and we're all supposed to be following it, which means yeah. you're supposed to have your career figured out at 26. You're supposed to get married at 27 and you're supposed to have babies by 28 and 29. Like that's not always the case for everyone. So everyone needs to understand, take that big clock throw something at it and realize that it's broken into a bunch of little clocks and everybody has their own little clock to follow and their own journey to follow. That was such a good analogy. <laughs> I was seeing the clock in front of me too. Like I was looking at your door. She was thinking was about like, throwing something at my door. I'm going to throw something at your glass door. Um, my One of my questions is how does your family handle if you're feeling anxious or depressed? I don't, I don't feel like my family knows. <laughs> <laughs> they will now. No, I feel like I feel like they do know. Like I, I, I feel like moms know everything. Let's just start with that. Moms know everything. Mm-hmm. Even if you haven't told them about that one night when you were 16 and you snuck out and all that stuff, she knows. So I'm just saying, they know. They got eyes in the back of their head. They implanted a chip in your brain when you were young. You got a tracking device somewhere. Mm-hmm. They know. So with my mom... She has this way of, like, I could literally just be sitting in the living room, like, all five other people in my family sitting next to me. Mm -hmm. But if I have a certain face on or I, like, I have this tendency where I, the TV's in front of me, but I'm looking down, um, she'll be the first one to notice it and she'll be the first one to be like, what's wrong? Mm -hmm. So I feel like they know that. But as we discussed before this, which is kind of going into our whole growth mm-hmm. topic, um, I'm one of those people where I haven't hit that moment of being able to openly talk when I'm about even having anxiety or depression. Because like I said, even though I say to everyone else that tells me about their anxiety or depression, I say, that's not a weakness. You're strong for mm-hmm. doing that, which I do believe. I'm not just like 
you know, just saying whatever, in my, in my head, like, I'm telling myself, you can't feel that way because that's weak. Mm -hmm. And you need to be strong. Or, like, you can't let this person see you sad because then they're going to think that they won. Or whatever. These are the thoughts that I have, by the way, so you're just hearing the process at the moment. Um, but that's how I feel, is I feel like, and I also feel like if I told someone that I am feeling anxious or that I have anxiety in a moment or I'm feeling a little depressed or a little down, I feel like, one, I'm a burden to them. Mm -hmm. And two, I feel like I'm not fulfilling my role in my friend group or my family because I feel like I like having that role of being like, yeah, you can come to me. I will make you smile again. I will make you laugh again. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to bring you down. I promise. Like, and a lot of people come at me being like, well, you know, I would, I wouldn't have even known something was wrong. Like yeah. my Megan, my best friend of 13 years, she says to me all the time, she was like, Megan, I, w I would never know if something's wrong with you. And she knows me better than anyone. She's known me so long. And she straight up said that to me, like not too long ago when we were hanging out, she was like, I would have never known when things mm -hmm. are wrong with you unless you tell me because she was like, you hide it so well. Yeah. Um, anyway, that's my answer. What about your family? <laughs> um, it's taken a minute. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I think my dad is the most receptive. Yeah, because I, so it's taken a long time for any of them to be receptive because, uh, going into kind of our growth, uh, when I lost my cousin at 12 ish, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, I, I kind of grew up really fast, and part of me, if you hear a little tears, um, I've I had to grow up really fast because I had my sister, and my brother, I had three other kids looking to me because I'm the oldest, mm -hmm. so I had to be the strong one. So I kind of like, if anyone's ever watched Vampire Diaries, I had to turn off my emotions of the situation. I haven't. It's oh, fine. I'm sorry. We'll watch that one too. <laughs> okay. Um. <laughs> I had to turn off my emotions because, yes, I was dealing with it, but I also had, I think my sister was 11 at the time, uh, I think she, or she was 10 at the time, Kenny had just lost his twin because they're only four days apart, mm -hmm. so Kenny was, a, Kenny was seven, um, Michaela was nine, Caleb was, like, they were really young, mm -hmm. so it wasn't something they, we all knew we should deal with at that very moment, but anyway, so I was very down a lot after I finally turned back on my emotions with the situation. But my dad was the most receptive to it because I uh, would tell him that I'm feeling very sad right now. Mm -hmm. And he would be like, well, what's wrong? And I would tell him what's wrong. And he kind of tried to work with me on it, but he didn't really understand. Mm -hmm. So fast forward to... Uh, couple years ago when my grandfather passed away and I was really down because that was the same grandfather that was with my cousin um I told my dad I was like I'm seriously sad mm -hmm. and it's really hard and I don't know how to uh process this emotion and so I think my dad kind of got to that point where he's like let me try to understand my daughter rather than let me keep telling her she's fine. Mm -hmm. And then I also had to, he gave me the ability to say, hey, I need help. Hey, I'm, I'm losing myself. Mm -hmm. And 
I'm also possibly going to seek out treatment. So my dad kind of gave me the ability to do that because he gave me the strength to do that. But if I had to pick any of my family members, my dad's the most receptive to it. My dad's one of the people that are like, when I'm having my panic attacks, I go to my dad because he'll give me a very strong hug. And like, I'm a person that if I'm overly stimulated, stimulated, thank you. (laughs) When I'm overly stimulated, I need to feel something Mm -hmm. to make me remember i'm i'm okay i'm safe so go to my dad my dad gives me the biggest hug and i think he's starting to understand that it's not something i can just switch on off anymore like that that little screw's broken Mm -hmm. and i go to my dad every time like i love everyone in my house but my dad's the person that if i'm overly stimulated stimulated i got you (laughs) i'll go to my my dad yeah well i think you brought up two really good points one being the i guess um responsibility of being an older sibling Mm -hmm. um because i know like being the oldest of three girls i have an older brother but being the oldest of three girls even to this day i stress about my sisters so Mm -hmm. much i'm like oh that choice or this decision or this change in their life or whatever they chose to do and i'm always like I stress about it and they're not even stressing about it. So I shouldn't stress about it, Mm -hmm. but it's because you have that protective mentality. You grew up with that protective mentality. You grew up that these are your people that you would take a bullet for no matter how many times you fight, no matter how many times you pulled each other's hair, thrown shoes at each other, stolen each other's outfits. It doesn't matter. Like like you're describing both our household. (laughs) I know, but that's what I'm saying is like, it doesn't matter because at the end of the day, like, I don't care how old my sisters get. I have a 24-year-old sister and I have an 18-year-old sister. They are both fully capable of taking care of themselves. But to this day, I still see my 24-year-old sister. I don't know why, by the way, that they're at these ages. But I still see my 24-year-old sister as like a 7-year-old. And I see my 18-year-old sister as a legit baby still. So for me, I'm just like, that causes so much anxiety for me. And that could beat me just looking at their social media because my 24-year-old sister doesn't live at our house anymore and my 18-year-old sister just left for college. Yeah. So I'm just like, through social media or a text or a call, Mm -hmm. I'm panicking over here. And you're just like, wow, that all came just because of where I got put in the lineup? Like, what the heck is that about? Oh, yeah. But I I feel you on that one. You just, you just, you want the best for them and ultimately you just want to make sure that it's not that they're just happy, by the way. You can't, and that's a good friend, too, by the way. Don't just be like, oh, I just want you to be happy. Mm-hmm. No, I want you to be happy. I want you to be safe. I want you to be healthy. Mm-hmm. And if there's ever something I see in your life that's going on that isn't helping those things or is somehow keeping you stagnant at the same person instead of a better person, then, yeah, I'm going to say something because yeah. that's my job as your older sister, so you can hate it all you want, but that's... That's real love. Yeah. Right there. I, um, and that is the cure to anxiety and depression, by the way, is love. <laughs> All the love. <laughs> Even if you don't think you deserve that love, you, mm-hmm. that love will get you through it. Okay. So a lot of people, you guys have probably heard this quote, seen it on Facebook, Instagram, it's everywhere. And it usually has Robin Williams on the page I with know this, this quote. Um, 
And I feel like because I didn't necessarily go into my growth in, in depth or because I'm still growing. That's why I didn't go in depth <laughs> with it. Um, this quote has always spoken to me because that's exactly how I feel when it comes to how I am in my friend group specifically. Um, or just around people in general when I meet them. Um, so this is the quote. I'm just going to say it now. Okay, it says, The loneliest people are the kindest. The saddest people smile the brightest. The most damaged people are the wisest, all because they do not wish to see anyone else suffer the way they do. So I'm going to let you go first. Oh, man. <laughs> um, um, final thoughts. I'm going to be real. I probably will tear up when I say talk say this but you got this girl i got this i have a bottle of wine waiting for me there Um, you go you'll be good i believe that's 100 percent true because i don't think unless you really got to know me and i opened up as much as i've opened up with you or with my closest friends Mm -hmm. i look like i can have myself together i look like i can um get through anything like i have the strength to like deal with stuff coming in but I'm very um I do get very lonely and I do try to have the biggest smile because I don't want anyone to go through what I went through like I that's one of the reasons why like I've been very honest about um being open with my anxiety or my depression yeah absolutely. because I've had friends come up to me and be like I don't know who I can turn to I don't know who to talk to mm-hmm. And they're like, well, I thank you for listening. Like, and it's like, I don't want anyone to ever go through what I went through. Yeah. It was one of the hardest points of my life is not knowing my own worth or not knowing if I'm going to make it through the night or make it through um, the challenging time. You yeah. know, like I didn't think I could make it through my grandma's passing or my grandpa's passing. It was really hard because he was so close to me. And then I think that's one of the times recently, I, or not recently, the last two, three years, I've had a point where I'm just sitting there like, what's it worth? Mm-hmm. Like, why am I here? Like, if everyone I love so much is leaving me, mm-hmm. why am I here? And you wouldn't know that. Yeah. If you look at me, you're like, oh, she's got her stuff together. She seems very calm, cool. She seems so much fun. But I have those moments. Mm-hmm. And... It sucks to admit it because you don't ever want to admit how broken you are. Yeah. But I, you have to be careful on how um, you react to the people that are broken. Mm-hmm. You can't keep telling them, oh, you'll be fine. You got this. Like, mm-hmm. it's just a little sad time. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to take it with kid gloves. Yes, we're, people with anxiety and depression are a little more sensitive than I know at least my extremeness of it is I'm a little more sensitive to people and I can be very sensitive to other humans, uh, but it's because I know what it's like. I know what it's like to have people give up on you. I know what it's like to have people turn their backs on you. I know what it's like to a lot of things. And But yeah, that quote really does affect me in a way that I never thought a quote can affect me. Yeah, no, um, it definitely, you know, everything you said is something that we all go through. And so I think, like, you know, it's important to just know that we're all going through these things. We all lose people. 
you know, death, unfortunately, is an inevitable. So we all lose people. Um, we all suffer through trauma. We all experience really sad moments in life. Um, and we all just handle it differently, you know. Um, I said this to Brittany before we started. You know, she has been a strong person because she comes forward about her anxiety when she's grieving with things like this. Um, and some of us, like myself, we prefer to just kind of like handle, that's what I, honestly I hate to say it, but that's how I do it, is I tell myself, I'm like, all right, you can handle this. So everything I'm like not supposed to say to a person with anxiety and depression, I say to myself, um, I'll say like, you got this, you can handle this on your own, you don't need anyone's help. And the thing is, is that I've learned to surround my pe myself with people that look at me and know that I think that way and that I'm like, you don't need anyone's help and that I can handle it on my own. And they look at me and they go, I know you can handle it on your own, but guess what? You don't have to anymore. So I feel like someone being able to say that to me and letting me know like, hey, I know you're strong. I know you got this on your own, but how about I help you carry it a little bit? Mm -hmm. And so I think like, you know, that's our ultimate message at the end of the day is, you know, we, we wanted to make point to ask for help when you need it. If you're not able to ask for help, you know, practice the 54321 method. And then ultimately look around, find, look at who you're surrounding yourself with. And are you surrounding yourself with people that are going to help you carry that load, even though they're not doing it in a demeaning way? They're doing it because they genuinely love you and they're letting you know, hey, I know you can do this on your own, but you don't have to because I'm not going anywhere. So like, I feel like that's such a rare thing to hear and to know. But along with this quote, yes, absolutely. Like, yeah, I feel sad sometimes. Yeah, I feel lonely sometimes. Yeah, I don't want to always be smiling or laughing or giggling and all of that stuff, but the end of the day, like we're put on this earth, in my opinion, it's to interact with other human beings and to be empathetic with one another. And I think that's something our world just needs more of right now. Um, so yeah, like if you hear people that are sad or see on social media, because mm -hmm. we're all quarantined technically, quote unquote, technically, um, yeah, give them, send them a message, send them a smile, ask if they want to FaceTime really quick. You know, because you might be the difference in between that person being here today and not being here tomorrow. I just, I, I just want to say like, yeah, I think that it's really important that, you know, we said the whole thing about, you know, save yourself sometimes and things like that. But like, like be someone else's savior, but also be willing to let other people save you. I'm not even going to comment on that that's where i was trying to end it. that was beautiful um but it's another great successful episode that was seven really good yeah that was episode seven this is episode seven and we have three more to our season finale oh my gosh we got some planning to do oh we have some serious planning to do some work to do but ladies and gentlemen it's another successful True colors. Clap, 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 clap. And snap, 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 snap. Yep, snap, snap. <laughs> um, we will see you next week. Yeah, and keep showing your true colors. Bye. Bye.